How are we doing, guys? This is Fitter Food Radio, episode 110, and today we have a really, really fantastic guest on the show. Obviously, we only ever get fantastic guests on the show, but this one I was particularly excited about. You may or may not know who this guy is. If you watch the one show about a week about a week or so ago, you might have seen this gentleman on there sharing his story. His name is Gary Andrews aka Gary Scribbler and he was on the one show talking about the loss of his wife um, and how he has dealt with that since you know raising two children on his own etc etc and his story took I mean it just really hit home with Keris and I had us in floods of tears and I just thought this guy's an inspiration we need to get him on the show because you know we are a lifestyle brand as you know and a big part of life at some point, unfortunately, is grieving, you know, for, for one thing or another. And I just think if you can hear it from someone who seems to have found a way to have dealt with it in the best way that they can, um, very much make it part of their his children's lives as well, I just think it, it's going to be really, really powerful. So, Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an honour to be here. I mean, to be honest with you, we, we rarely watch the one show. It just kind of happens to be on sometimes when we're eating dinner and we just kind of leave it on. If anyone on there is, I don't know, excites us or interests in some way, which, which your story very much did. And you would probably tell your story a little bit better than obviously that I could recall for sure. So why don't you kind of like tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, why you was on the one show, and we can then start to dig a little bit deeper in, in, into your your story, your journey, so to speak? Well, I am an illustrator and animator by profession. I've been doing it for many, 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 many years. And it means I draw every day, all all day, every day. I'm drawing a lot. But in the last 10 years or so, I suppose, mostly, it's been digital. You're drawing on a screen. And I was missing the, the sound, the scratch of pen on paper. Missed that sort of contact with the drawing instrument. So Mm. I decided to keep a diary every night. Last thing at night before I went to bed, I would do a drawing of something that happened that day. Funny, sad, something that annoyed me, something that amused me, whatever. I would do it last thing at night, sitting on the sofa, watching the TV, just sit on my lap, scribble it out five minutes or something. And then I'd sit and show it to Joy and we'd have a laugh and then you go to bed. And it's, I sort of rattled along nicely for about a year and a half doing that. And I would post it on Facebook or Twitter or something. And my friends who followed me on there would see it and we'd all have a laugh together. Sometimes I get, you know, a couple of comments or whatever. It was, that was the sort of life we were living. And then in October 2017, I was away on a business trip and my wife was taken ill with what we thought was flu. But within three days of her first saying to me, oh, I feel a bit fluey, she'd been taken in hospital and died. And uh, I was jumped on a plane to try and get back in time, um, but I couldn't get quite back. So by the time I landed, she'd gone. And um, it turned out from the post-mortem, she died of multiple organ failure as a result of sepsis, among other things. So it was very sudden and very unexpected and, and, you know, hit us for six. I have two young children who were seven and ten at the time. So I had to tell them that mummy wasn't coming home. And, um, yeah, the whole thing hit you like like a ton of bricks. So... I missed a drawing the night I was on the plane, obviously flying home. But the, the night I had to go to bed after I found out she'd gone and I've told the children and I was sitting there thinking, I've, I've got to draw. I've just got to do this drawing. Um, I've been doing it every day. It was part of who we were. But all I could think of drawing was a broken heart, obviously. So that's what I, that's what I drew that night. And then the next night, 
I could do a picture of the three of us with a star and my arms around them from the back saying, now we're three. And then as the days went on, things would happen in the day that I could respond to again. And I discovered very quickly that keeping doing these drawings, it it kept a contact with her. It kept her alive for me because she still felt very present. And sometimes I would draw her in the picture, looking over my shoulder, being involved. So it kept her very present. It kept it alive. It also was an incredible sort of valve for any grief I was feeling. If you've got this feeling of grief, you don't know what to do with it. It's very easy to bottle it up and for it to become something that gnaws away at your inside. But the very act of being able to draw it was like releasing a valve and letting a little bit of that grief out. So just on a personal level, the drawings became incredibly important to me. And also my children would look at them the next day and they would relive the previous day through them. Sometimes something sad, something something funny, whatever that happened. And um, I continued posting them uh, online so that my friends really knew what my state of mind was at that time. And then a couple of months into it, I suppose, or two, about three, three or four months into, into doing after she died, it got picked up by the press and it got an article ran in a newspaper and a couple of online things. And things just went nuts, basically. <laughs> and I had 600 followers on, on, on Twitter before this happened. And um, it very quickly started growing and growing and it, from the result of all these different things. And then uh, the one show picked up on it as well. And they asked me to do, to do make this little film that I made for them and go on there. And, and basically now... I've got 50,000 followers on Twitter from all over the world who are following these doodles that I do every day. And I get messages from people who are going through something similar and are saying, this is really allowing us to see we're not alone. To It's putting into something that I couldn't put into words or whatever. So it, it seems to be that other people are finding the shared experience of grief, something that, that's helping them cope with theirs. I get messages from people saying, uh, I got one the other day. It's like, it's like Oh, my wife died yesterday. I've been following, and I'm following you. And right. looking back through your timeline is showing me that there's going to be hope in the months to come. And you just go, "Oh my goodness, this is—it's gone beyond what it started as for me." Although I still every day just have to think of me. I don't have to think of the audience. I think what has struck me today. And the more personal and truthful it is, the more it resonates. If you try to be to play to the audience it becomes something it's not. So I just have to keep that truth and draw it every day and use it to get my feelings out. And that seems to be touching other people. So so in a slightly uh, long answer, that's that's a little bit about me and the, and the drawings, really. I think, you know, grief is a, is a funny old thing in that people have very different ways of, you know, they always say, oh, everyone's got their own way of dealing with grief. But I think sometimes some people's way of trying to deal with grief is actually almost not dealing with grief, if that makes sense. And we often work with clients who, when we dig it, because we, you know, we do more than just say, oh, you know, what's your diet like? How much exercise do you do? We try and get to the story behind why do they reach for, for the wine every Thursday without fail or whatever it may be. And there's often, you know, when you dig deep enough, you, you find reasons that they would never associate with nutrition fat loss, health, whatever. And um, sometimes you, you go right back to something that happened like maybe in their childhood or when they lost a loved one. And, and, and then you, you say, well, how did you, how did you cope with that? What was your, you know, how did you deal with that grief? And then once they finish speaking, you're like, you haven't dealt with this at all. Like you've still got it bottled up inside. And 
And that's probably why you're doing what you're doing, because you actually haven't, you've almost not allowed yourself to, to grieve properly. And that's why when we saw you on the TV show, I was just like, this is a, a guy who, you know, quite frankly, is really bloody horrible situation that no one ever wants to be in. And it was out of the blue. You couldn't prepare for it. But I think what, what really drew me to, to, to contacting you was, like, you know, you've got two kids, you're a man, you know, what do you do in that situation? Because I think many would, you know, there is no right or wrong answer, of, of course, because there's no manual to this. But for you, like, it was like, you've got two kids. Do you be a man? Which, you know, which is a definition that anyone can give 10 different answers to and bottle it up, make out like everything's just going to be fine and we just need to crack on or kind of deal with it in a way. And, 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 and it was for me the way you did deal with it and the way you got your kids involved. And you said something on the show that really struck me and you said, like, uh, we talk about her every day, but she's still very part of our day. And uh, that I just thought was, was amazing. So, I mean, I'd be interested to know, did the kids, because the kids were, you know, what do you say, they were seven and ten at the time? Yes. And, you know, that's an age where, as a kid, you're pretty switched on. You know, you're not stupid. You can't get away with maybe telling a little fairy tale or, you know, you've almost got to be very, very honest because they'll know. Like, how did they take the news and, and how long was it before, you know, you, you kind of felt like you was getting somewhere with, with them? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is. And it's a very interesting age because the girl is the older Lily. She's she was the one who was 10, now 11, a very mature little girl. And um, Ben boy was seven. And there's, um, girls have a maturity on um, comparative ages, girls often have a bit more of a maturity than boys at that sort of age. Yeah. So with Lily, she could intellectualise very quickly, you know, what had happened. With Ben, you know, they both dealt with it in their own little ways. I mean, I told them right from day one, right from the moment I had to tell them, I didn't use any euphemisms. I, you know, mummy's gone to heaven, mummy's, you know, whatever. I said, doctors tried to help her, they couldn't help her, and mummy died. She's not coming home. And I thought it was so important to use the words, you know. Um, so that they're not got that thing. She's because you don't want them, you know, mommy's sleeping now. You go, well, they don't want to go to sleep. <laughs> you, you never say sleeping, you know. So I said, you know, mommy has died. And um, that, you know, it was the howls like wounded animals. It was, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And we held each other for like 10 minutes, just all crying and stuff. And then, and then they dry their eyes and then they say, what's for tea? Because they're children and they live in the moment. And, and you go, yeah, I've got to feed you. Okay. <laughs> and um, and this, that's kind of how it went. And then, you know, they, they slept in with me for a few nights, both of them, uh, which was fine and that's to be expected. But then after a while, it was like, well, one of you steals the duvet, the other one kicks me in the nuts. So I really can't have you both in here the whole time. Okay, you're going to have to work in shifts now. You're going to take a couple of nights each and take it in turns. And and then slowly they went back and then they started sleeping in their own rooms. And, and now they, they very, very rarely come in. I mean, Ben comes into my room every morning for a quick cuddle, but that's just a cute anyway. But it's very rare that I, I have one in with me because they're worried. Because I try to take the, the sting out of it straight away. I, I said to them both, you know, this is something that happens. Everybody dies, you know. And we've talked about this right from day one when they were little. You know, you've, we've never shied away from stuff. And, you know, they say, I mean, what happens after is we say, I don't know. Nobody knows, but you'll find out one day. And um, so the honesty that we've, we've always 
dealt with with them has carried on into the way we we, we are now and, and so that's why we we talk about mummy all the time and and, and we and they can say, oh, mummy would have loved this. Mummy liked that. They can talk about her in the past tense, but with a big smile because she feels present. And, and the sort of belief I have in, in I mean, I'm, I'm a sort of pagan type person and um, my beliefs are such that when you die, I don't believe in, a, in an afterlife as such, but I believe that your life force, your spirit goes back out into nature. We come from stardust, we go to stardust. We are everything, energy can't stop it has to go from one form to another so i believe that the, the energy goes out there so for the children i can say look mummy is now everywhere she's not there as a ghost as a thing hanging in the corner in the dark she's everywhere she's that butterfly she's that bird she's that leaf she's that star she's whatever you want her to be whenever you want her to be so they can tap into the thought of mummy wherever and whenever they want which is kind of you know i think is a comfort for them and um yeah, but they can talk about it. And even just the other day, a couple of days ago, you know, a year on, Ben said to me, oh, I wish I had this green Chinese dragon that Grant wishes and I'd ask for mummy to come back. And you just go, yeah, that would be really cool. It would be great, Ben. I wish that too. But then, but then you're gone about something else. And you just throw in a little thing every now and then like that. So you know it's still processing. Lily, that little bit older, she can intellectualize a bit. And even before Joy died, she would have these nights where she'd be lying in bed and then she'd come downstairs with tears because she was thinking about, you know, life and death and the future. And you go, oh my God, you're nine, you're 10. You know? and, and so now she still has those nights, but not as often, funny enough, since it's happened, she has them less. But she still has them occasionally and she'll come down and we'll have a cuddle on the sofa and she'll say, it's the usual. And I go, I know, darling, and I'll give you the usual answer. And then we have a nice little cuddle and then she goes back to bed. But she had one the other day when she said to me, I just wonder what the point is of life when, you, when you're going to when you're gonna die anyway. What's the point of life at all? And I said to her, well, the point of life is to have an effect on other people. Look how everyone's reacted to mummy dying. She, she touched so many lives, not by doing anything particular, just by being nice being a lovely, kind person. She touched so many lives and made other people's lives better. That's the point of living, darling. If you can do that, if you can touch other people's lives and make their lives better just by being you, that's the point of life. And she was like, yeah, okay, and went back to bed happy. So, uh, yeah, we talk constantly about her and about that sort of thing, you know. Did you um, ever find yourself kind of, you know, like doubting yourself a little bit, maybe like some kind of habits creeping in where you felt like you were you were bottling things up a little bit you you couldn't be as open as you was before or um i i i I responded very instinctively to everything that happened and uh, my instincts were just to be plain and honest and just truthful the whole time because that way you can never get caught out so you just you're truthful with whatever feeling you're having at the time. And if I was having a down day, I would tell the kids that I was having a bad day and, and I just needed them to be a little bit better behaved or just be there if, if I start crying, just just hold my hand. So I would, you know, um, I didn't, oh, I don't know. Because I haven't over-intellectualized what I've done until I talked to other people about it, um, I, I didn't doubt what I was doing in a sense of uh, any kind of conscious way because I'm I was just making it up as I went along a bit like the way I live my life. Generally, I just sort of bob along and hope for the best and make it up as I go along. There were moments obviously when you've had a day, you've been dealing with a load of paperwork stuff, you know, financial things going up the swanee because you haven't got passwords and you just have one of those days where you go, cause she's still the admin. So of course when she died, a lot of the passwords went with her. So mm-hmm. trying to banks and insurance, it was just like, Oh, but we got there. 
with a bit of help. People were very good about it, but it, it wasn't easy, you'd have, you know. Um, and you'd have a day like that, and then maybe the kids were playing up a bit at bedtime, and then they'd finally be asleep, and then you'd sit down on the sofa and you'd just go, oh, can this just stop? And you'd be asking, why, why, why me? You know, why is this happening? And then, and then you go, well, it's happening because it's random. Of course it's happening. There's no, there's no rules to this. This has just happened. And then you go, I've just got to get on with it. You've got two choices. You've got two choices. You sink or you swim. Mm. And if you've got two young children to look after, you haven't got the option to sink. So having, having them there helped pull me along. I think if I hadn't had them, I might have wallowed in more self-pity. But the fact, mm. but the fact is, I didn't have that luxury. They had to be fed. They had to be clothed. They had to be at school. They have to be answered the questions. And that helped pull me along. But also, I think I'm generally a glass half full person anyway. I'm a very positive person. Joy would have been furious if I if I didn't just get on with things. You know, she, she that's not who we were. We were very busy people, very active, dewy people, all about living life to the full. So I owed it to her to get on with stuff. So, so I did. And, and, you know, you, you, you get on, you, you suddenly go, wow, you know, for 19 years, she'd been the primary sort of um, cook and stuff. She was just brilliant and natural at it. And because my work was the one that, you know, paid the most, we made the decision that I would do most of the work and she would do most of the looking after. So suddenly I found myself in that position of, man, I've got to, I've got to do meals. Um, <laughs> and in the early days, it's great because your friends just come around with so many frozen lasagnas that, um, you know, I was, I was just like, oh, that's happening. But it was so kind. I mean, and just, you know, having to pay freezer Tetris to fit everything in that people have <laughs> But that was fantastic. And that gets you through those first few difficult weeks, just the kindness of friends. And the fact, yeah, you know, thank goodness for takeaways. Um, but then you have to go, okay, we're now living on crap uh, with, with the takeaway. The friend's food is brilliant. My, I'm just doing nonsense. So you have to go, right, I need to go shopping. I need to do proper cooking now. You know, it's like riding a bike. I used to cook a lot in the old days and, and it started to come back and then you start to experiment and then you, yeah. Uh, so that was an interesting journey. And, and, and I always just say to kids, tell me, tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Mm. You know, do you like this? Is this good? Do you want more of this, less of this? And with everything I did, not just the food, but everything I did in life, you know, let me know if I'm doing okay, guys. Is this all right? So it was a two-way, two-way dialogue with them, you know. You know, please let me know if I'm doing the right thing. And every now and then I just check, did we do all right today, guys? They go, yeah, it's brilliant, or whatever, you know. So that's been kind of nice. I think as well, you know, like in, you know, in that essence, I mean, you know, that, that kind of saying, what is it, like a, a problem shared is a problem halved type thing. You know, I think there's much more being spoken about with, you know, like mental health and, and whatnot at the moment. And a lot of the time it does come back to just, opening up a little bit more about things and, and, and not bottling things up. And, you know, and I used that reference earlier about being a man, you know, and that's the reason why I kind of like exaggerated that is because I think, you know, depression in men is, is on an all time kind of high at the moment, you know, suicides in men is, is an all time high. And for, for whatever the reason may be, there's a social, a social kind of acceptance that a man is a man and they bottle things up. And there's this is toxic mm. masculine thing, which means, you know, to show emotion isn't masculine, but I think to show emotion is more masculine than anything else. If you can show your children that it's okay to cry and still be there with the, with the strong arms around them when they cry, that is so much more masculine than just being, no, I'm fine, and then hitting them because you're bottling something up, you know? And, yeah, the, the mental health thing, I think a lot of it comes comes to just bottling things up. If you can talk and 
about things as soon as you speak about a thing it's out there and you can you feel the sense of relief and people have asked me have we had any counseling and we actually haven't we I, I we had the offers but we kind of our own counselors we talk to each other and my drawing has been my own personal counseling but the fact that the children and I talk openly I feel like we're counseling each other as we go the option is always there and mm. I will at some point if I feel it needs it I, I'm quite happy to talk to somebody professional but at the moment just being open and talking seems to be doing the job, you know. Do you feel that um, you're able to, I mean, you know, because do you say it's, it's just been over, is it a year, do you say? It was a year, um, where are we now? We're Monday, aren't we? So it's a year and two days now. Wow. You know, because I know when, because uh, I mean, I, I lost my granddad, blimey, uh, 13, 14 years ago now. And it was, it's, it's a bizarre one because when I tell a lot of people, you know, like, oh, you know, it's, a, it's kind of like it would have been my granddad's like birthday today and I get a bit upset about it. And I think a lot of people don't get it because not everyone's as close to their grandparents as I, as I was. And it was something that kind of like took me like massively by surprise, you know, just out of the blue. One minute my granddad was fine, next minute he was gone. And um, like the reason I kind of gave that example is kind of like almost like there, there is this annual occurrence of a, the anniversary of his death and, and, and B the anniversary of his, uh, of his birthday and, and times like Christmas, you know, the usual kind of like suspects. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm 13, 14 years deep. And even I, like I'll be sat there on the sofa, like, Oh, bawling my eyes out. And Kerry's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, it's my granddad. Oh. You know, and cause it's that trigger, you know, like how were the, how were the kids at, at that kind of, time you know like obviously because they would have had a christmas it's now a year down the line like how how did they cope uh, they were incredible on the first christmas um, our friends were very kind and rallied around and they thought well i wouldn't have had time to think much about it so our friends clubbed together and gave us a couple of little sacks of presents for them to open i mean i had got some stuff anyway and joy had already bought some stuff that was in a cupboard so between us they had a christmas and we had family come and stay and it was all very good and then again at new year i went away with them and we had you know we d again, we didn't brush it under the mat. You know, I, we, uh, on the Christmas card, I always draw our own Christmas card. And on this year's Christmas card, we were we were the Justice League. And um, I was, I was <laughs> overweight Batman. And Ben, who loves swimming, was, was Aquaman. Lily loves sprinting, so she was the Flash. And Mummy was Wonder Woman, but sort of ghosted in as if oh. Mummy, we know she's not here, but she's still part of the team. So Mummy was like, you know, a see-through presence in the card as Wonder Woman and so that was part of it so we were acknowledging even as we were celebrating that she wasn't there and um, that's been part of our whole sort of thing the one it was interesting actually um most of those things they've been fine about in the summer was would have enjoyed his 42nd birthday and um I just had a big party we just had a big garden party at a barbecue and just had friends in and out all day for like about 12 hours to celebrate it was this is Joy's birthday party day and we, we had the party to celebrate it. And it was lovely. People were talking about her and even a couple of people even brought cards for, you know, I mean, and it was, it was brilliant. So again, just acknowledging that for the kids was good. The one that really was interesting was at the end of the summer holidays, we went, it was, you know, get the new school shoes day and everything. And we went shopping and did all that. And when we came home from that, they started crying. And it was like, because that's what mummy always did. They, she mm. did the shopping for the new shoes and stuff with them. And it hit them that she wasn't there doing that. So, it, so it's funny, the, the things that do strike them. It's not sometimes the things you expect. It's the little yeah. unexpected. And the same with myself. 
we went on holiday in the summer, our first holiday of just the three of us, summer holiday, went to Cyprus to a lovely hotel, you know, had sun and swimming for a week. And I was really worried that it would actually, I'd be really affected by the fact it was just the three of us. Table for three, please. Which is another thing that Lily said she finds when we go to the pub and order a table for three, she finds that a bit weird. Mm. But it's not anymore but actually on the holiday it was fine I could picture her there I could see her I could hear her you know and it was like it was fine but when I came back from the holiday and the kids went back to school and I had to go shopping and I was in the car park and I put the bags of shopping in the back of the car and it was all food for three and suddenly I really missed her and I just I just sort of broke down in the car in the supermarket car park you know uh, it was that the banality of going shopping which I'd done for weeks but doing it after a holiday that hit me. So it's the funny things that hit you at different times. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I often find it the, cause we, we often talk about how, cause it, it sounds really bizarre, but you can just sometimes out of nowhere and you're not even where you would think it would happen, but you get a certain smell and you're like, and it just takes you right back. And how many times have I've, I've just started crying and I you know, just had this smell that just, you can't even describe it. And it just reminded me of like my granddad and, and, and you just think, God, that is crazy. Sensory association is a very strong thing. You know, yeah, smells, sounds, music. Oh my gosh, music. That, that's the one that gets me as well. I saw your post on Instagram the other day and that you got me with that one because when you said about like your song came on and there, it was that one with you like always like you couldn't even get your key in the, the front door. But yeah, come what may, it's been our wedding dance and that had come on the uh, radio in the car just as I was coming home. So I sat in the car listening to it and then got out of the car and it was a mess. I think it's probably the first time I'd heard that song since, you know, and it was, um, yeah, that was quite powerful. But yeah, you get this stuff. It's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah. You just don't know what's coming next, but, um, I wanted to go back actually to something you said earlier, because you, you mentioned in the kind of, the very early stages afterwards, you know, friends were coming around, bringing around food and you're eating takeaways and whatnot, which I totally understand, you know, in those situations, you just kind of, I suppose you want to make things as easy for you as, as possible. And but when we work with people, we try and we always kind of say, you know, focus on the things that you can do and focus on, I suppose, nourishing your, your body in the best way that you can. And even though it's much easier said than done, especially in, in that circumstance. Um, but I think we're, we're so quick to turn to, you know, comfort from food, from alcohol, sugar, whatever it may be. But we often try to say to people, actually, at, at those times, your, your body probably needs more nourishing than it did before because you're, you're vulnerable right now and like your emotions are all over the place. So as tempting as it is to just be like, oh, take away, take away, take away, you know, don't lose sight of how powerful it is to look after yourself, eat better, try to get a bit more sleep and uh, and whatnot. Like, and you mentioned you did get to that point where you were like, right, we're just eating crap now. Did you notice a difference in terms of like your, your energy, your general kind of like mood and whatnot when you did start to maybe clean, clean the diet up a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest, the, the cleaning up has only really started happening very recently. In those early days, yeah, you're just eating what you eat. And I mean, it wasn't, I mean, we, we you know, I've never, and we still never do the whole sort of McDonald's thing. I mean, I've, I'm mm. not into that. So when I say eating crap, I mean, actually, it was things like, you know, Thai, Chinese, you know, things like that. Pizza, but pe- always put a bit of salad on the side. You know, I mean, it was yeah. sort of, you always do a little thing to try and sort of just break the curse a bit. But we were <laughs> doing that. 
the good thing was the friends bringing home cooked food round was really helpful because there were good meals happening in there. And I would do the sort of thing where I would go out and we'd go to somewhere like Cook who make those nice homemade but frozen meals and I'd put a load of them in the freezer so that you know that although you're doing like ready-made stuff, it's not processed. It is that mm. stuff that it well made. So even in the back of my head while that was going on, I was trying to sort of keep that going. So for feeding them and the general main meal times, it wasn't too bad. But then at, at the age they're at, they're not very good at eating really healthy stuff anyway. And the great thing is it's burn up anything you throw at them. So yeah. I, you know, I know that they're going to be fine. It was me. And, and quite often my biggest weakness would be once they'd gone to bed and you're sitting in front of the telly and I didn't want to go to bed. I didn't want to go to sleep. Um, I stay up very late. I still do stay up very late, but I always have done. That's the sort of person I am. But I'd be sitting there with a drink, and if you've got the drink, you've got to have the nibbles. And suddenly I'd find myself <laughs> through the whole evening. And I'd even be going to the point of walking back out to the kitchen or the fridge or whatever to get another set of nibbles going, oh, this is really bad. I shouldn't be doing this. As I was undoing the thing that I shouldn't be doing, you know, oh, this is awful. I'll get another one in a minute. And it was just... <laughs> literally I'll have a drink. I think I'll have another one, you know, and, and you just, it got into that kind of total habit of, of comfort and it was, it was grief yeah. eating, comfort eating. And so my daytime with them wasn't a million miles away from a sort of regular, normal kind of lifestyle I had with them. But the evenings became my danger zone. And, um, I became very aware of it and I, I knew it was happening. And I'd say to myself, I have to get a grip on this, but I'm not ready yet. And, and mm. it was like, Many years ago when I gave up smoking, you know, you, you try giving up smoking, I'll cut down a bit, you know, and you did. And then one day I said, no, that's it, I've got to do it. And for me, it was the millennium. And I broke my last cigarette at midnight on the millennium and didn't have another one since, you know, and it was that sort of thing. And you, you have to know when the moment is right. And the, the grief eating thing was, was getting bad. And I was just thinking, I looked at myself in the mirror and thought, that's just not nice. <laughs> you know, you're... And, thinking to myself I'm closer to 60 than 50 you know I've got to be careful and I said right enough's enough and then just so just a few weeks ago I, I decided you can either go I'm gonna diet I'm gonna think and I just started to change my lifestyle so and I mean I know I've seen your book and you, you've got these great recommendations and I think one of the things is that every, whatever works for each person works for them so I mean what I'm doing may not be the way you guys do things but at the moment it's definitely working for me and what I decided to do was basically this intermittent fast thing where you, you don't eat anything till lunchtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wake up, have a cup of coffee, whatever, you know. But then at lunchtime, I have a meal. I eat with the kids at tea time. And then I'm not going to eat again until the following lunchtime. That includes no snacking, nothing like that. And I started doing that. And within that, in the eating that I was doing in that, for them, when I cooked the meal with them, it would be pie and chips, whatever it's sausage, you know, whatever. And I'd join in with them and eat whatever they were eating. But my meals I was cooking for myself, rather than doing that kind of, I'll have a sandwich, I'll have a so-and-so. I was just doing myself stir fries, but I was, I'm going completely carb free on the stir fries and using like massive handfuls of spinach in with what I'm stir frying to be replace the noodles or the rice or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're like, they're tasty and there's loads of nutrition going in there because I'm getting my carbs later with them and just having this, these really tasty light stir fries at lunchtime. They taste great. And I was just feeling really good about myself for doing it. And the other day I was, I was, I was getting dressed in the morning. I thought my trousers feel weird. What's going on? Something's gone. And I realized it's kind of gone in a notch on my belt and, and it took me a couple of minutes to realize, and I haven't done a diet. I've just changed the way my attitude to, to what I'm eating. And it seems to be working. 
for us, like we, you know, we've worked with thousands of people now, both kind of face to face and online. And, you know, we always say like, what, what works for one will not work for the other. So there is, there is no such thing as a perfect diet. There is no such thing as the perfect route to your dream body, whatever it might be. As long as it works for you, then it makes sure and it ensures things are moving in the right direction. That's all that matters. So yeah, keep up the work, buddy. I mean, that's why, because uh, after having a good old nosy on your Instagram, and I was like, oh, he's on a bit of a health quick kick, quicker. Yeah. Send, him, send him a copy of our book, give him a bit of inspo. It was great. And I was having a look through the other night and it was, it's really fascinating actually. And it was interesting. Some of the stuff you say in there about, you know, the myths and I quite like that. It's why I don't beat myself up. If I, if I want something, you know, I, I just fancy something naughty. I'll have it, but uh, you know, it, it's God, you know, it's all about balance, isn't it? And, and, um, and not beating myself up. If I break the pattern, I'm doing this thing of being very good about, you know, when I eat, what I eat sort of thing at the moment. But if something comes up where I, I, I do go, I just really need or something now I'll eat it. And I'll go, okay, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. It's fine. And it is. And being mentally good about yourself rather than beating yourself up, I think is almost as important as what you're, what you're, what you're putting in your body and not getting stressed about the food and go, Oh my gosh, I've had a calorie over what I should have done. That's it. It's all gone horrible wrong. I just get, you know, to hell with it. It's going to be fine. It's heading in the right direction. I know what I know now what I should be doing. And if I make it a lifestyle choice rather than a rather than a diet, then if it's a lifestyle choice, you can afford to bend it a little bit because you're going to go Ooh. back to the. And I've now sort of combined that with with just being sort of physically more healthy as well. I started yoga a couple few months back, and I do that with just one a week. But it's just nice to get out and do that. And um, a few years back, I did I went to the couch to five k thing, and I was doing quite well. I was doing like you know three fives a week and all that sort of thing. And then I had a, a Achilles injury. And my running suffered, and and then I was just starting to start running again when Joy died, and that sort of put pay to it for a few months. And then I got back into it again earlier this year, and it's been it's all right. I mean, the thing is, once you're older and heavier, trying to get back into something like that is always difficult. And I was up to doing like two or three, two and a halfs a week, and they're really hurting. <laughs> it's really hard work. <laughs> Um, but then a friend of mine a couple of days ago challenged me. He's a, he, he runs and stuff. And he said, here is the thing. He said, I'll give you a challenge. Why don't you and I do the Rygate 10K in September next year? Why don't you work towards that? And we'll do it as a charity thing. We'll raise money for the Sepsis Trust. Uh, what do you reckon? And I, he caught me in a day when I went, yeah, why the hell not? So I, funny enough, this morning was day one of my new training program if you like where what i've done is i've downloaded a new sort of couch to 10k app and i went out this morning for my first run on that and it's interesting because i've been doing two and a half anyway this is like a step backwards but i've made that choice to take that step now and i'm now going to follow that program through so actually today it felt really easy to me and yeah i remember first time around this i couldn't hardly walk up the stairs so today i started day one of my new program to sort of get me up to like a 10 10k run really and again it's the discipline of just getting out and doing that even if you don't feel like it and and saying to yourself okay it wasn't a brilliant run today it wasn't a brilliant time but you're lapping the people on the sofa you're out there you're in the air mm. you're doing something. again it's another lifestyle change i've chosen to do that along with this eating and i'm lucky i could you know my job my lifestyle whatever allows me to be able to do that i realize that you know i'm a affluent white middle class ma- male who has the ability to do this some people 
wouldn't be able to. And I fully appreciate that. I'm very lucky in that respect. But finding something you can do to feel good about yourself is what I've really noticed in these last few months is so important. Oh, 100%. I mean, we, we, it's a tough one because everyone has their own kind of barriers and obstacles, so to speak, as to, to why they feel they can't you know, commit to training, nutrition, whatever. But you know, when you start, you know, when you've been in the game as long as we have and we've met, you know, you might meet someone who's like, oh, you know, I can't possibly do that. I've got a son. And it's like, right, okay, well, we work with a woman who's got five kids and she manages it. So let's see how, you know, what, what she has done could potentially help you because in essence, she's kind of like got your problem times five on paper. And, and I think sometimes people cling on to something because in their head, in their mind, it's, it's justified. But we, oh, it's, so, it's so easy to find the excuse not to do something. I've, tried, I've spent a year of finding excuses not to do things, you know, alongside being able to move on with them. I've, you know, finding reasons not to get out and do stuff for myself or for, or, you know, with, for the eating or the fitness has just been the easiest thing in the world. And now, now I've made this decision to change the, it as a lifestyle change. Right, mm. I'm doing it. It's now not difficult. You now go, okay, I'm doing this. I mean, in my own personal thing, I, I can't do evenings. I can't, I can't go to a gym in an evening because the kids are around. It's just me. I, my, my babysitting credits, I use a lot of my friends I use up doing theatre, which is what I do a lot of in the evenings, doing shows and stuff. So that's my choice for my, for my spiritually. I want, you know, that, that, that's what I like to do. Physically, I need to do, get out and do it. So I do the thing of put, put the gym stuff on in the morning, do the school run, get home and then before I start work I go out and do the run at that point it's straight after the school run and so you're not breaking up your day you're just delaying the start a little bit and then again as I say I'm lucky I work for myself from home I don't have a nine-to-five job I don't have a situation where I've got to work it's around that there must always be a way Mm. well that's the thing I mean because you know as soon as you said I'm lucky I'm like well yeah, you, you could, in that essence, you are lucky, but then at the same time, you know, you, you lost your wife and the mother of your kids a year ago. So you could, you could say, yeah, but you, you've also had a, a, a bit of bad luck as well. And I just yeah. think like it, it's all about kind of assessing the situation that you're in. And like you say, focusing on the can-dos and the can't-dos, not always easy, especially at first, 100%. But I think when you've kind of got someone that's willing to share, I don't know, their story and, and it, which is why we wanted to get you on because we feel that you've got a story to tell that is no doubt gonna inspire others and it's funny because i actually thought that uh i, I had misunderstood I, I thought it was two years ago that you you had lost joy um in a way it's almost even more inspiring knowing that it's actually only a year and we all know how quickly a year can go now yet you seem so you know just so switched on with it all and and you know in that sense you know it, what would you? What advice would you give if if someone was in a very very similar situation to yourself? You know, they've just lost their partner. There's there's kids involved. Like, what what advice would would you give them to help them with the grieving process? Okay, um, there's there's several things really, and I mean, I could only do it from my perspective of how I felt it. I mean, one, uh, I'm very lucky. I've got. I'm very lucky. There's that, that word. <laughs> I am. I had one. How are you for swearing on the podcast, by the way? Yeah, it's well, fine, yeah. I've had one fucking awful thing happen. <laughs> you know, I lost the love of my life. She was taken away ridiculously young, totally unexpectedly. That, yes, that's awful. However, 
I have two incredible children. I have a job which gives me a flexibility. I have an incredible circle of friends. That's why I think I'm lucky. I'm mm -hmm. lucky because of what I have around me, for what we built before she died around us. I am lucky I have that. I'm unlucky. I'm, I'm not unlucky. She was unlucky. It's a horrible thing. But you then have to make that choice. Find the positives in your life. So the thing I would, I, the advice I would give is, don't look backwards. Looking backwards is toxic. Okay, you cannot change what has happened. She's died. That's it. Nothing I can do is going to make that change. What would she do? What would I want her to do if the roles were reversed? And if the roles were reversed, I would want her to get on and be positive. So I look back at uh, my life I had before, and I look back at it with thanks that I had 19 perfect years, that we had this incredible relationship. Um, I look back with love at all the good stuff we had. There were 19 brilliant years. There was one day where it all went horribly wrong. And they said, why focus on that? You can't. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you go crazy. So look at the positives. If you have to look back, and you do look back, nostalgia is natural. Look back at the positive stuff. Going forward, say, what can I take from this? What can I do? Things I'm taking from it is live every day to the full because you just don't know. So live to the full. Be a glass half full. You, and, and that's so easy to say because it is so powerful an emotion that hits you and every person is different and you do have those days when the demon is sitting on your shoulder and just whispering in your ear you know you can't go on you can't go on and those are the moments when you know you, you just use those moments to call on those friends who've said to you is there any time you want you know day or night give us a call is there anything you want cause if they didn't mean it they wouldn't say it so if you've had mm -hmm. friends who said that speak to them Go to see that friend. Cry on their shoulder. If the friend, they say, oh, I can't do it, then they're not the friend. Forget them. You mm. know, if they didn't mean it, they shouldn't have said it. And if they did say it and meant it, call on it. Don't go, oh, I can't, I can't put them out. You know, yeah. if they've made that offer, they've made it because probably they mean it. And they'll feel better for it. A lot of my friends felt better knowing they could come and help me when I needed some help. They said they feel so helpless because, you know, they've lost in my case, Joy as well. They've lost this person out of their life. And because they're not living that life, they feel one step removed from it. So in, in, in a strange way, sometimes your friends feel almost more helpless than you do because their life is still going on and they've lost this big part of it as well. And they go, what can we do? What can we do? We feel a bit helpless. So if there is something that they can do, let them. Hmm. And that is going to help. Just share, spreading that burden is so important and and i couldn't have got through this without my friends they've been incredible so that yeah that's that's some advice i think i'd give allow yourself to grieve though if you have mm. those moments don't bottle it let it out you know my sofa's taken a right pounding i mean the poor thing i wish i'd had somewhere to put a punch bag because that would have been brilliant just to let out that anger that you sometimes feel and luckily yeah. i've got a strong leather sofa so the sofa has been a punch bag a few times for me I saw my son do it. It was about three days after Joy died. He had an absolute thrashing anger fit about it and was on the sofa, literally pounding the sofa with anger at what happened. Wow. And it was like, wow, that's so primal. And it was only a few days after that, you know, I had a really bad grief attack when they were in bed. And I did the same. I thought, I'm going to learn from what I saw him do. That sort of just raw rage. And I, that poor sofa really took a pounding, but it really helped. Um, let so let it out. Let it out. 
I think that's such a, a you know a powerful thing. It just is having some form of an outlet, and it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it allows you to feel a sense of relief of some sort. Like because for me, it's always been the gym. You know, like I'm like you know if something's angered me or upset me or stressed me out, like if I go to the gym, I come back a better person with a with a clearer head on my shoulders, and I'm not necessarily going to go to the gym to have the best workout ever because mentally I'm not in the right place to do that. But it's just to, to go to kind of like my place that allows me to just, I suppose, like get a bit of a better perspective on things and be like, right, I can cope with this now. I can deal with this now. Whereas before I felt helpless. I'm really lucky. I, again, lucky, again. I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm so lucky. I have this um, ability, this talent, whatever, to draw. And for me, that's how I, I, I express and vent myself. But everyone has something they love. You have the gym. Someone else might love baking, walking in the woods, gardening, uh, you know, whatever. If there's a thing that you love, use that. Use that to express yourself, to get the feeling, you know, bake your grief away, uh, cycle your grief away. Uh, I don't know, God, sow your grief, whatever, whatever a thing that you do that you love, channel it through that and do that. Don't, you know, don't deny yourself things you enjoy doing. Express your grief through a thing you enjoy. And don't feel guilty that you're doing it without them, you know, as well. That's the other thing. Well, that, that's what, that was going to be my next question, funny enough, actually. Was there, was there ever any moments where, I don't know, if for a moment you had not forgotten about her, but just was very much in the moment, found yourself to be very happy and laughing, and did you ever think, oh, like I almost feel guilty for, for feeling that way? That is one of the really weird things. Yes, you do. And in fact, after the initial pain of the grief when they first die and everything hurts, and then real life takes over again and suddenly you find yourself just getting on with life, the toughest times were the times when you had a really good day. You went out with some friends, you had a great laugh, you had a great time, and then you suddenly go, damn it, I was enjoying myself. And you feel a bit guilty. And mm. the other thing I found was sometimes the edge took off the enjoyment because part of the, the most of the big fun, it was sharing the enjoyment and you, you weren't sharing it with her anymore or something. But yes, it was, it was I actually got the, the worst grief, certainly you know, up until fairly recently. The, the worst feelings were after a good day. And you just suddenly go, that was really good. I feel really bad because that was really good. I've come to terms with that now as well. And you go, but I'm allowed to feel good. I'm mm. allowed to feel good. Um, Again, the last thing she would have wanted was for you not to feel good because yeah. laugh. You know, I mean, her laugh is the thing everybody remembers about her. She had a very infectious laugh and a beautiful smile, and that's the thing we all miss so much. You know, she had the love of life, and 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 that has to continue. That that sort of embracing life to the full. Uh, and I've, you know, I'm I'm down with that now. I'm sort of I'm happy that I can enjoy myself, and uh, you know, there are still going to be dark days that, you know, and they do come at you when you don't expect it and they will come for years. Mm. Um, my parents both died by the time I was 31, I'd lost both them and only child. So I, by the time I was 31, I was, I was on my own. And, um, the other day, when was it? It was after Joy. Was it? No, no, it might be just before she died, actually. Um, I was watching, um, who do you think you are? That, that, that program about family trees and stuff. Oh yeah. And, Ruby Wax on there, funny enough, and she was talking about her dad or something. And this, this old veteran came on to talk about the Italian campaign in World War II. He was 96. And he was there with all his medals and stuff. And he was talking about fighting through Italy. And I suddenly realized he was the age my dad would have been if he'd still been alive. And my dad had been fought through Italy at the same time. So that guy could have been my dad. 
And I say, my dad died in 1989, and suddenly I was in floods of tears. Wow. Um, so you go, wow, it, it really never quite goes away completely. In all these years, I haven't cried about my parents in years. You know, I mean, mm. it's a long time. I only ever think about them and smile because time you know, gives you that luxury that you can think back and smile. But suddenly there I was, however many, God, maths, about, about 27 years on or whatever it was at the time, crying about it again. You go, gosh, so, so I'm, I'm not fooling myself that I'm any way over this. I know that there are going to be, you know, it's a year for God's sake, there's going to be dark days. There's going to be things that hit me where I really want her there. Um, but, you know, I am taking, you know, it is, two, three steps forward, one step back, you know, and, and embrace those steps forward because, you know, life does go on. You have to yeah. do it. And when you were on the one show, you spoke about like you're doing a lot more now for kind of creating awareness of, uh, of sepsis. You know, what, I mean, what, what, what's, what, what's been going on in the last year? You know, can you give us an idea of, of, of numbers, into, i.e., you know, is it a lot more common than people think? The ridiculous amount of, I mean, worldwide, every three and a half seconds, somebody dies of sepsis. Wow. Um, in Britain, I think it's something, now, I, um, I get my figures a bit wrong, but I think it's something like 44,000 people a year or something. Or uh, that could be low. I could have got that wrong. Um, I'll have to look it up in a minute and maybe give you the correct figures. But, but it, it's a ridiculously high number of people. Um, because it because the problem is it's a sneaky bastard and and it's never quite the same in, in you know with two people it's it, it's and it presents itself it's like flu it's like there's all these sort of fairly innocuous signs but if you start adding them up and putting them together um, that's when you suddenly go hang on a minute this this might not just be this and this is the the big thing that I'm that's come off the back of this is is what the sepsis trust talk about and what I'm trying to say is just ask. Mm. could it be sepsis you know if you've got a bit of flu you feel a bit rough Ugh. if you feel really rough we're not talking man flu rough because that and i hate that because it's bollocks but um but if you're saying i genuinely feel like this is they say one of the times says, i feel like i'm gonna die and it's that thing i do i, I literally feel awful awful not just i need limbsick awful but this is not good <clears throat> Doctors are there for a reason. It's their job for you to go to them and say, I think I might be poorly. And if they say to you, nah, have this and you'll be fine. Great. If they say, yeah, you are. <clears throat> Hello, get an ambulance. Then, you know, you won't regret having asked them. No. They're never cross with you if you go and ask them. That's their job. That's what they do. We only, we sit here going, oh, I can't bother the doctor because you hear all about the big, the figures and the numbers and they're overworked and the cues and you just go, oh, I can't, I can't ask them. It's, it's, it's sod that. Mm. That's, the, ask them. Your life might be saved. It's as simple as that. So what are the, because obviously you say Joy was 42. Yeah, yeah, she was 41 when she died, yeah. 41, you know, so obviously, you know, like no age at all. What are the kind of um, the risk factors involved that, you know? I mean, this, this, the signs to look for, that, that if, if I, I've got a convenient flyer here, so I'm just going to read for you a, a couple of things. So in the early stages, it's difficult to distinguish sepsis from flu. If you're in any doubt, you call 999. Okay, so here's a list of things that it could be. It doesn't have to be all these things. It could be just one or two. Slurred speech or confusion. Extreme shivering or muscle pain. Passing no urine in like 18 hours, 
breathlessness, severe breathlessness, thinking, I know something's wrong with me. Uh, your skin that's a bit mottled or blue or very pale. If you've got any of those or a combination of those, just, just call somebody. This is wrong with me. Could it be sepsis? Use the S word. Mm. As soon as you say it, people are going to take notice. All right. Yeah. 44,000 deaths annually in the UK, which is more than bowel cancer, breast cancer and prostate cancer combined. Wow. Wow. I mean, that means that a person dies from sepsis every five minutes. And this is in the UK. Right. Um, that means during a normal football match, 18 people will have died. Wow. I mean, that puts it in some kind of perspective, doesn't yeah. it? Is there any advice in terms of like prevention or are there any kind of common like risk factors that may could potentially increase your chances of getting it, if you know what I mean? No, the problem with sepsis is it's not something you catch. It comes because you get infections. I'll just read another bit here. Infections which can give rise to sepsis are common. Lung infections, pneumonia, water infections, infections in wounds, bites or the joints and burst ulcers. So basically your body attacks itself in its own defense. That's what it's doing. Um, often what it is, is if you get an infection on top of another infection, if you get like a couple of infections, I think this is what we think this is what happened with Joy. She had like a throat infection and this fluey thing. Right. Throat, but she'd had a, like a urinary infection possibly about a couple of weeks before. We didn't treat because it was just mild. But we think if that had been hanging on and then this other one came on top, the two combined and the body went, hang on a minute, I'm under attack, and it attacks back. Yeah. And that's what happens. Now, it's if you catch it early, if you get in early and go, I think I'm poorly, I think this isn't good, phone, could it be? Just a simple antibiotic thing can, can save you. It's a sim if you catch it early enough, it's so treatable. It's, it's incredible. So it's... You just have to ask. You just have to just be, just be super cautious. It's a, it's a sneak. As I say, it's a sneaky bastard, and it's, it's awful. And you know, she went within three days from being completely healthy to dead. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean that, that when you when you look at it like that as well, and uh, you know, there's got to be that element of, oh gosh, you know, if only called one 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 or you know gone to the doctors or something like that, it could have been such a different story. And but it's hard though, isn't it? Because you are. Yeah sometimes raised to be like oh you know don't don't kick up such a fuss it's just a bit of flu just rest and you'll be fine hindsight is 2020 yeah you know it's so easy to look back i mean the thing is as you say it just felt like flu and she was a very strong very strong woman i mean with both our children she with 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 her with our first one with lily she just had gas and air nothing else with with ben she didn't have anything it was just wow. self just self-hypnosis she did that that thing where you did the hypnosis. So there was no pain thing. So she was a very strong fighter. Mm. And, and she just did that thing. I'll just shake it off. I'll be fine. Two days of feeling a bit fluey. Day three. No, not good. Wow. That's when, that's when um, luckily her sister was here and her sister said, I think we better call the doctor. The doctor called the ambulance and, you know, but then it just went, we'd gone too far. Too late. You know, maybe if we called it a couple of days before, it would have been fine, or the day before. Who knows? You know, you can't look back at that because we didn't. That it's gone. We can't do anything about what happened to her, which is why now I I'm trying to say to everybody, you can do something about you. Mm. you know, if we can save lives with the awareness of what happened to her, it makes her death less pointless. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
So that's what it's all about now for me. I'm like, I'm like you know, just trying to sort of make people go, don't don't go through this. You don't have to. I mean, well, that's, I mean, you know, it's like we said earlier, you know, in terms of like, it's, it's, it's good to talk, you know, it's, it's, it's good to talk in this sense as well. And if you've got any concern that goes a, a little bit beyond, you know, because let's be honest, we've all, had cold, we've all had cold, we've all had flu. It's probably a good chance we know when it's maybe something a little bit more. And, it, you know, just pick up the phone, you know, a simple phone call could make a huge, huge difference. So, and what is there a particular charity... That, that you're working with yeah. or i'm working with the uk sepsis trust it's just www.sepsistrust.org and they are the uk sepsis trust yeah brilliant well gary thank you so much mate honestly it's been been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, I, I just feel i need to kind of clear up why if, if any of our listeners are thinking what happened to keris why is she not talking <laughs> matt let her speak We've had an issue with the audio and it wouldn't pick up Keris's audio. So Keris actually been writing me notes on her phone of what questions to ask. Yeah, ask him that. Um, so Keris is, she's, she is here, but she's speaking through me. But yeah, so but Gary, honestly, like you, you're a true inspiration, mate. And I don't know, I mean, I'm impressed the fact I didn't cry. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I, I thought I'm going to cry on this podcast, which would be a first. And I did have a lump in my throat for about the first 15 minutes um, but I thought if he can keep composed, I can keep composed. But Gary, t- tell our listeners where, because I'll be honest with you, obviously never heard of you before until I saw you on the one show. Um, I now love seeing your your drawings on um, on Instagram. Where can people see a little bit more of your stuff, buddy? Okay, well, if you on Twitter, I'm Gary Scribbler on Twitter. Yeah. I think I'm also Gary Scribbler on Instagram as well. Yeah, yeah you are, yeah. Just seek me out on either of those. Um, you'll be able to follow. Um, I am on Facebook as well. I have a, a public uh, album on my own, on my page on there. But I mean, to be honest, it's all the same stuff. So you're probably best off going either to Instagram or, or Twitter to find it. And fingers crossed, I'm working at the moment with a, an agent towards putting a book together, which will cover the first year of, of widowerhood through the doodles, basically. Okay. And we're just looking for a publisher at the moment. In fact, I think an email came through while we were chatting. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Probably not saying we've got one, but just saying that we might be, you know, again, two steps forward, one step back. It's it's a long, hard process trying to do it. But if we get a book out, then obviously, hopefully, that will help people as well. So, um, yeah, Brilliant. we'll see. Brilliant. Well, we'll we'll keep doing your thing, mate. Um, just one more question before we go. Two questions, actually. Uh, yes. One: How long does one of those doodles take you? <laughs> Um, between five and ten minutes. Is that it? Yeah. Wow. Because I watched the time lapse you did of one, and obviously I know it's a time lapse, so it's obviously been sped up. But even so, I was like, I, thought, I must ask him how long this takes because it always amazes me sometimes how quick some people are. But that's phenomenal, five ten minutes. The really complex ones. There was one on the anniversary that I did on Saturday, which was Joy looking down on us with the wheel of the year around us, and that took about fifteen. I mean, that, so the complex ones can take up to about fifteen, but I, the average is is five six minutes, I suppose, in front of the ten. Wow. So here's a question: no obligation. If we sent you a picture of uh, Keris, myself, and Hamish, our dog, could you do a doodle <laughs> version of us? <laughs> You're very doodleable, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Maybe as a special thank you for letting me come on here, I'll, I'll do one for you. But, uh, no, no, we, we would be more than happy to pay for your time, buddy, 100%. But, um, yeah, but I, I, it's funny, actually, I have to admit, and, and in all seriousness, um, 
obviously since this has gone crazy there's been um you know a couple of people have asked for things and some of them are for you know, charity things or whatever like but occasionally you get someone oh can you draw my can you draw my so and so and you just go I'd love to. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Practical says, if, if everybody starts asking, I'm coming back and blaming you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll edit that bit off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I do get a lot of people saying, oh, can you draw my kids? And I'm like going, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, um, it's like, and then I, actually, I had a really sweet one. I mean, I guess we're set, this isn't part of the podcast, really, I suppose. In fact, it shouldn't be because it was someone who follows me. But... Um, somebody followed me and they'd written some sort of a book and they said oh we'd love it if you could do the illustration of this thing i'll send it through and they sent me through the, the story about the book and it was all very sweet and they had these ideas about the illustration i was looking at it going yeah that's quite interesting i'll have to get back at them at some point you know and then they sent me another email going i'm so sorry i just read a bit more of detail i didn't realize how that you were like a proper illustrator i'm sorry i've wasted your time and and uh, and then they don't worry and i'm like going well you haven't wasted my time if it's a project i like i would do yeah. it but but obviously they were looking for someone who, who drew as a hobby, who might want to illustrate their book for free sort of thing and realised, right. oh, it's his job. Yeah. yeah. They felt a bit embarrassed. I was like, please don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel embarrassed. You, it was a really sweet thing to be asked, you know. But the fact is, yeah, it is it is my job and I do have to, you know, earn a living as well. So Of course. Of course. If I, if everything that everybody asks, um, I wouldn't be able to. So maybe trim that off there. But in answer to you on a personal level, why not? Send it through and I'll do you. Good man, you're a legend. As a thank you. You sent me a book, I'll send you a drawing. Simple as that. Oh, there you okay. go, there you go. That was about for asking now. <laughs> so, what, um, if, 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 let's say, for example, someone did want to work with you then, what, have you got a website? Yes, I do have a website. It's www.garyscribbler.co.uk. Look at that. Who, who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought? Yeah, I actually <laughs> to get everything with the same ID. I don't know how I have. Yes, so yeah, garyscribbler.co.uk. I do have a web there's a contact form on there and they can see it, other work that I do, you know, above and beyond the doodles. Brilliant. Well, Gary, thank you once again, buddy. Um, keep, keep on going. You're doing an amazing job and uh, it'd be uh, good to hear how you're getting on with your kind of training, nutrition journey. Keep us posted. Brilliant. It doesn't. Cheers. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I'm sure you got some real good nuggets of valuable information there um probably could have spoken for, for hours but you know if you did enjoy it please share it with friends subscribe to the podcast and we will see you in episode 111 and